Hi, my name is Christy Kramer, and this is Michigan Unsolved, the new true crime podcast that is solely focusing on cases based out of Michigan. Before we get started with today's episode, I just really want to thank everyone out there who has been supportive and has been listening to this podcast since its start at the beginning of January. This is episode four, and I am blown away by the number of listeners that we've gathered over the last month. This is not support for me, okay? That is one thing I want completely understood. This is support for all the people out there that are victims and the families of the victims of unsolved crimes. And that brings me to today's story. It's actually a a follow-up kind of to last week's story in a way that they are connected. And it's extremely short. And I will also be adding on two of the hit and run stories that I've been working on that are short as well. Uh, One thing that I've been noticing since I started doing this podcast and researching these stories is the amount of little information that is out there is absolutely remarkable. There's a reason that these crimes are unsolved. You know, last week's episode, I was very frustrated because there did seem to be so much, so much evidence and nothing was being done. But that is definitely the exception. All of these other ones, there's just literally nothing to go off of. And uh, with that, I want to tell you guys about a young woman who was 22 years old. And uh, it, it's heartbreaking. It, it truly is. Not only because a prominent, a promising young woman lost her life, but The evidence and the leads are so few, and for a family that just wants justice, that lack of information is just so frustrating. And the aftermath of the loss for this one particular family will literally break your heart. Um, Christmas of 2014, if you remember last week, uh, Paige Stalker um, was murdered on December 22nd, so just three days before Christmas. Christmas Eve of 2014. Christina Janelle Samuel uh, had just graduated from college and she was planning on starting law school in January. She was so excited. Uh, she was home from the, for the holidays on um, during the, the break between her graduation and starting law school. She was going to be going to the same school for both. She took the opportunity to meet up with some childhood friends and very late on Christmas Eve, It's not exactly known whether uh, the date was actually the 24th or the 25th. Some say she was killed on the 24th. Others say it was just shortly after midnight, which would lead it to be the 25th. But uh, she was meeting up with a male friend that she had been childhood friends with. And they were sitting in a car. And they were sitting in a car on the east side of Detroit in a gray Chevy Impala on Carlisle Street near Gratiot and Eight Mile. And if anybody is familiar with the east side of Detroit, that is, um, it's really just south of Warren and it's not too far west from where Paige Stalker was actually murdered. But they were sitting in this car on the east side when a black Nissan Altima pulled up 
two men in hoodies approached the car and opened fire. One of the shooters had a long gun and one of them had a handgun. Both Christina and her friend were shot, but unfortunately, Christina did not survive. Uh, the police do not believe that Christina was the intended target. They believe that the man sitting next to her, the man she considered a friend that was visiting from places unknown, he was visiting, he was an out-of-town visitor, do not know where he was from. I don't even know if the police have released his name, but the police believe that he was the shooter's intended target. And unfortunately, Christina paid the ultimate price for that friendship. Uh, the, the man she was sitting in the car with, like I said, he was shot too. He, I believe he was in a coma for, for at least a week, week and a half, um, but he did survive. Christina's brother, Chris Moore, told the Detroit Free Press shortly after her death that Christina was going to dedicate her life to criminal justice. And if it's the last thing I do on earth, he said, I am going to make sure that the justice system works for her. And I really, really do hope that that happens because here, eight years later, there are still more questions than answers. Early in the investigation, police had told the family that there was evidence and leads, but none have brought that much needed justice to Christina's family. And honestly, I wish I had more to tell you. I wish I could give you something besides the type of cars that were involved or the type of guns. But the police in this case have been extremely tight-lipped, only giving statements that the case is still an open investigation. But what I will tell you, which I believe is the most important part of this case, and really, honestly, the true reason that I've been doing these podcasts, is that I'm going to tell you who Christina was. Christina's nicknames were Stina and Jay. She graduated from Detroit Martin Luther King High School in 2020 as a straight-A student. She went on to Indiana Tech and earned her bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And she was going to continue at Indiana Tech as a graduate student to become a lawyer. Chris Moore told Fox 2 in 2015 that his sister really was an angel and she never had an enemy in the world. In 2019, Fox 2 spoke to Chris Samuel, Christina's father. He spoke of his daughter's desire in life. He said that Christina was all about going to school and had devoted herself to becoming a lawyer. The search for justice was such a passion for this woman. She needs the, her justice. Mr. Samuel told Facts 2 that during the year after Christina's death that her mother passed away. He believes that her mother's passing is directly due to Christina's death. Christina was her mother's baby. They were best friends and the pain was just too much for her. Mr. Samuel told not to sit idly by and wait for police to find his daughter's killer. Just like Dave Lawrence, the grandfather of Paige Stalker, he has led the charge to get justice. The Stalker family and the Samuel families have come together in their grief and desire for justice and sponsored a Peace and Unity Walk in May of 2015. They also started a foundation, Save Our Children's Future of Michigan, to create safer neighborhoods. I wish I had more information to share about Christina, and I had planned on reaching out to Mr. Samuel to find out who his daughter was from his perspective. 
but unfortunately, in May of 2020, Mr. Samuel passed away from complications of COVID-19. One year after her murder, Chris Morph told Fox 2, In the beginning, we were told these things take some time, sometimes a couple of years. Whenever it comes, it will be a good day. And I look forward to that day for both the Samuel and Soccer families. As I mentioned earlier, Christina's case coverage is going to be short because there is no evidence available. But I did want to get it out there because she deserves justice and her story needs to be told. Okay, I had to take a short little tiny break there because... I had uh, I tried to get through today's recording without my special guest host, but he was throwing a fit in the other room with his uncle, so I brought him in here. So again, we are joined by Ozzy, the crazy cockapoo. But um, so uh, again, while we have some extra time, I wanted to cover some of the hit and runs that I've been working on. Um, I have been contacted since I started this podcast and starting to advertise what I'm trying to do by so many people asking me to cover stories of their loved ones that either their crimes are unsolved or they've been involved in hit and runs. I honest to goodness have a list of over 20 hit and runs. It's unbelievable. And I'm not even talking about just people that have been killed, but people who have lost legs, people who have been paralyzed because of somebody else's ugh, incompetence and just disregard for human life. And it just absolutely breaks my heart. So I'm going to tell you about two separate hit and runs, one from... 2013 and one actually from 1954 and it it is really mind-blowing to me because the one in 2013 has less information than the one in 1954 how unbelievable is that so and I think you'll understand what I mean when I when I tell you the stories, I mean, obviously, there's there's more detail about the person um, from 2013, but the the evidence, the the witness accounts. And you'll you'll see what I mean. But um, the first one is the story of Kelly Boyce Horbert. Fourth of July, 2013, fell at the same time as the Cherry Festival in northern Michigan. Traverse City is a coastal town that normally has a population of roughly 150,000. But during this time of year, they can easily reach half a million, if not more. What would normally be a very happy time for the residents of Traverse City, one event caused this close-knit town to fill with sadness as one of their own was run down. Kellyanne Boyce was born January 30th, 1984, to Steve and Michelle Boyce. She was two of their four children. I'm sorry, she was second of their four children. She had an older sister and two younger brothers. She grew up not far from Traverse City and graduated from Benzie Central High School in 2003. Kelly met Paul Herbert at Union Station in 2008 and immediately connected. 
They soon began dating, followed by an engagement, and then they were married July 15, 2012. The newlyweds were enjoying life. Kelly was in the process of getting her psychology degree, and she worked days at the omelet shop, a local breakfast spot, and in the evening she worked at the North Peak Brewing Company with her husband Paul. Even though they had a car, they loved how close their house was to everything, and they could bike everywhere. They absolutely loved to bike ride. North Peak was only a five-minute bike ride from their house, and Kelly was working there on the evening of July 4th. Paul and his band were playing at an Irish pub that sat below the brewing company. When Kelly's shift ended, she went down to catch Paul's last set. Paul finished playing at approximately 1 a.m., and the couple hung around talking to some friends. A short time later, they decided to head home. Kelly left. Normally, they would have rode their bikes home together, but on this night, since Paul had his band equipment, he drove the car and Kelly rode her bike home alone. When Paul got home, he thought it was odd that Kelly wasn't there yet. Then moments later, he received a call that would change his life. The police were on the line asking if he was Kelly's husband. And at the same time, he saw the ambulance lights just a quarter block from their house. He knew in his gut that it was Kelly. He dropped what was in his hands, ran from the house, and made it to her side as they were trying to stabilize her. Paul said he was hysterical as he watched them trying to save his wife. At 1.56 a.m. on July 5, 2003, 29-year-old Kelly Boyce Holbert was riding her bicycle on the 600 block of Washington Street in Traverse City, Michigan. She was struck and killed by an unknown vehicle. Paul said she always rode her bike in the parking lane just about 12 inches from the curb. It is believed that in order for the vehicle to hit her, he must have purposely and willfully left the driving lane to strike her. Police believed that Kelly had been hit from behind by either a pickup truck or an SUV, traveling in the same direction as her. They say that she became entangled with the vehicle and was dragged for about one and a half blocks. Kelly was taken to the hospital, where her husband remained by her side. Doctors told Paul that she could hear his words, even though she could not respond. Paul said, I just told her how much I loved her. I told her everything was going to be okay and that I loved her very much. Unfortunately, Kelly Hurlbert died from her injuries in the early morning hours of July 5th. Paul struggled to understand. He said, I have no idea what was going through that person's mind. She always rides all the way to the curb. Washington Street is wide enough for a car and bike to share a road. The Traverse City Police Captain said they are enlisting the help of other outside agencies with the crash investigation, including the FBI and the Michigan State Police. Even though nearly 700 tips have come in, including descriptions of pickups and SUVs with front end damage, there have been no concrete leads in Kelly's murder. There were two other crashes in the same area, one in 2010 and another in 2012, but while they, while they did share similarities, there is nothing conclusively connecting them. Since Kelly's death, Paul has tried to keep her memory alive by remi reminding their friends and family and the community of her amazing spirit. There was a lot of love. 
We, are, we were always happy people, no matter what we were doing. People were always telling us how our relationship would inspire them. Paul added that she was the best thing that ever happened to him, and she made him a better person. He hopes that police will catch the person responsible for killing his wife, and in order to prevent it from happening to some other person. But he knows it's not going to bring Kelly back. Despite their best efforts, Traverse City Police has not been able to solve the murder in almost 10 years. A nonprofit called Remember to Love was started in Kelly's memory, and there is a $50,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction. There is an also, there's also a white painted ghost bike memorial placed at the scene of the crash. Now, the second hit and run, there is much less information, but we do actually have a description. This one is from uh, 1954. Henry Kopman was born in, De in Detroit, Michigan on July 4th, 1894. He married the love of his life, Ida, on March 17th, 1914. They lived a blessed life, raising 10 children together until heartbreak struck shortly after Thanksgiving in 1949 when Ida passed away from cancer. Their youngest child, a daughter, was only eight years old. Henry worked hard to support and care for his children after his wife's passing. Until tragedy stuck again. While walking home from a local business on Saturday, December 4, 1954, Henry was crossing East Forest Avenue, just west of Grandy on Detroit's east side. He was struck by a car going east on Forest. A witness who was driving behind the car that hit that hit Henry described it as a 1952 or 1953 black Ford. He stated that the driver stopped about 150 feet from where he struck Henry. He opened the door. He placed one foot on the pavement. And then he slid back under his wheel and sped away. The witness tried to follow the car, but it was lost in traffic. Henry was just 60 years old, and his youngest daughter was now 13, and she was thankfully taken in by one of her older sisters. Henry and his wife Ida left behind an enormous legacy, including their great-granddaughter, who is my best friend. No one has ever been found or charged with Henry's murder. Hit-and-runs are some of the most difficult crimes to solve. Please remember to stay safe on the roads, and if God forbid you're in an accident, please stop. No one life is worth another. It is my hope and prayer that one day justice is served for Christina Samuel, Kelly Hurlbert, and Henry Kopman. This has been Michigan Unsolved. Until next week.